0: And they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. This is your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. You can build a highly cross-functional learning organization, even if you have a significant hourly and field population the common wisdom is that cross-functional collaboration is the hallmark of highly effective corporate teams. What if you could bring that into teams that had a heavy field and hourly employee footprint? That's what we're going to explore today in our conversation with Hope Harris, who is the VP of HR at Real Floors. Let me tell you a little bit about Hope and her background. She's had at least 15 years of HR leadership experience, and she's covered a number of industries in both the nonprofit and profit sectors. She's currently the VP of HR at Real Floors. Prior to coming on to Real Floors, she was the CHRO of a national nonprofit organization supporting the public health sector. She's got a ton of background and expertise when it comes to strategic operations, operational strategy, organizational effectiveness. So she's going to bring all of that into the conversation today. The thing that stands out about Hope's background is that she puts a strong emphasis on commitment to excellence, integrity, and impact. Hope Harris, welcome to the show. I think we're going to have a lot to talk about in this conversation. And before we dive into the broad strokes of what we're going to talk about, I want you to fill in some of the gaps in terms of your background and experience that's going to inform this conversation.
1: I've worked in multifaceted industries throughout my career. I know some people take a look at my resume and they're like, how did this get put together this way? And I always say at the end of the day, it's because I understand business. And so just having a well-rounded business acumen and understanding the ins and outs of an organization, it's all vital, especially from an HR perspective. As you mentioned, I've worked in both the for-profit and non-profit sectors, both in professional white-collar services and blue-collar skilled trade as well. I'd say I'd spent the majority of my career in anything construction, heavy equipment related, so many facets of just the overall commercial and residential construction industry that I'd say that's my sweet spot, where my passion lies. And that kind of lends to that, merging the best of both worlds from the corporate and the non, I would say traditional corporate perspectives. One
0: of the things that I'm curious about is why have you gravitated more towards the manufacturing, construction, skill trade sort of environments versus the standard white collar environments?
1: I love to see tangible things like come to fruition by the end. There's obviously a million great things that happens in professional services, sometimes very much relating to like strategy and organizational design and those sort of things. So you can somewhat see them come to fruition. But I really like seeing those kind of tangible at the end of the day products, buildings being built, homes being made, those sort of things. And I think for me too, personally, is some of the roles in which fall into the blue scholar skill trade perspective go so undervalued and get so unseen. Yes, you have these big glamorous financial perspective roles or those sort of things. But at the end of the day, so many laborers and so many people out in the field make things happen that go unseen each and every day. And I, I just love making sure that they see the value and passion in their works.
0: What do you have to account for and do differently when you're looking at executing talent strategy in that environment that you wouldn't normally pay attention to in a white collar environment?
1: Yeah, I think something to keep in mind too, obviously from an organizational perspective, a lot of times when you're working in like professional services or white collar services, there's a just a general broad understanding of what your operation is and everybody's operating at that same level in the context of like scope of work, shared understanding of things, but also sometimes from a skill set qualification standpoint. When you're working in blue collar skilled trade, you, you, you have the gamut across the organization of folks that are in Various positions, all the way down to skilled trade, hourly positions, just all over the place. And so it's a great mix of folks coming together where you get to see all facets of the organization.
0: Great stuff. When you think about the things that you've accomplished throughout your career, and we'll keep it limited to the most recent stuff, you're pretty new at Real okay. Force. So You'll yeah. we'll probably th- look at the role prior to that. What's the accomplishment that you're most proud of?
1: Building trust with the teams. I think a lot of times in HR, HR is different everywhere you go, but I think there's such a shared level of responsibility across the organization to build trust with the teams, but more so with HR. I think we owe it to our employees to make sure we're building their trust and we have to make sure that we do our due diligence and take the time to do that. And so knowing that I've been able to build the trust with the teams is really important to me.
0: That's an interesting answer. And the reason why it's Mm -hmm. interesting to me is that when you ask the average person, what do you think about HR? Mm -hmm the default answer is going to be HR is not your friend. HR is, quote unquote, the enemy. So when you talk about building trust in the HR function, how do you execute that when there's a lot of people that are sitting there thinking, I don't want to be friends with those people?
1: Oh my gosh, I could deep dive into this all day. I think some of it comes from having the the business acumen right and so you build the trust with leadership senior leadership and executives by being that person that they can lead on they can confide in that person that can support organizational decisions and change and they know they could trust you in that space to to move forward but to help coach and guide along the way too right and being that confidant that people can lean on I think from just across the organization it takes time to build that trust with the team and a lot of it's just visibility transparency and things I'm really big on explaining the why. We can't spend a lot of our time in HR explaining what happened, why we made a decision, but we do owe it to our employees to make sure we're educating ourselves on so many things, but being able to explain to them the whys behind decision-making as well. I tell my team all the time, yes, I'm like, thank visible, think scalable, think transparency and everything that we're doing. And eventually, even though there's hard decisions made and not everybody's going to agree with it at the time, eventually it works into building that level of trust and that shared understanding.
0: You're pretty new at Real Floors, and Mm -hmm. I'm sure in the short amount of time that you've been there, you've probably got a laundry list of things that you want to get done. When you think about the one big moonshot that you want to accomplish by this time next year, what is that?
1: The one big thing is really focusing on um, efficiencies and leveraging our team's strengths. We have a ton of talented team members in this organization, and we're spending a lot of time around some non-automated processes. So working on process improvement and automation is key to be able to leverage their strengths.
0: You, You mentioned something about focusing on identifying what can be automated. I'd assume that there was a pretty long list of things that were potential targets for automation in terms of building efficiencies within the organization. So how Mm -hmm. did you narrow that down? What was your process for getting to the handful of things that were most critical to improve?
1: From an HR perspective is where I'm going to take it. And this is what kind of leads into that full collaborative approach to training is just the overall employee life cycle. If you look at the life cycle of an employee from the moment that a job gets requested all the way through retirement, that's hopefully where it goes to, not termination, but going through that process, really thinking through cross-departmentally, all of the ins and outs and the conversation, the requests that have to happen and really focusing on that employee life cycle. Because at the end of the day, that literally grabs everything from ops to IT to accounting to all facets of the organization. When... You think about all the different
0: things that exist uh, in terms of leadership myths and HR myths. What's the thing that you wish would just go away?
1: Oh, my gosh. I think the fact that people still think HR is payroll and benefits. It's fascinating to know. Like, there are a lot of organizations out there who really still do not see HR as a integral part of the strategic decision-making in an organization or an HR shared business partner. And those sort of things. But again, I think us as HR professionals have to do our due diligence and make sure that we do get seen in that space and takes time. Feel like we're getting there. But yeah, I wish that would be super easy, just gone away and we wouldn't have to knock the walls down.
0: Why is it a mistake to view HR as an administrative function versus a strategic function?
1: Think about it. What are organizations aren't processes. Yes, they have services or tangible outcomes right at the end of the day, but organizations are people. If you could rename it, we're people resources, right? At the end of the day. So that's part of every facet of the organization. It's your you know, biggest return on investment. It's all things. And so at the end of the day, people make up every business decision, everything that's happened in the organization. When I opened the
0: show, I talked about cross-functional collaboration being the hallmark of a highly effective corporate team. You've talked about your sweet spot being in more blue-collar organizations and field-oriented organizations. How do you bridge the gap between those two things? How does that tie in with the realization that really helped you build high-performing teams?
1: There's a misconception based off so many things as it relates to like blue-collar skilled trade or what you're describing as field-based teams or hourly associates, those sort of things, in relation to what some would consider like white-collar professional services. At the end of the day, people want to have passion and purpose in their work. They want to see value in what they do, they want to work for an organization that resonates with them, and they want to be proud of the work that they do. And that's shared across all organizations and all people. And so I think a lot of times where things fall short is that's not a value that's perceived in some organizations and in some trades. I think that's where things fall short.
0: I'd like you to expand on this a little bit more. You mentioned connecting passion and purpose to the work, and that sounds great in theory, And Mm -hmm. I know how to do that in a corporate environment. How do you connect those dots to that new hourly employee that
1: comes into your organization? First of all, it's time. You take time to spend with them on who you are, what you do, and why you do it as an organization. And I think a lot of times, especially in hourly roles, these are roles that have to be backfilled quickly or there's a gap in the system or the process. I think a lot of times in these hourly roles, there's assumption that people just want to do their job or do the one thing in which they've been tasked to do and don't need to be explained the why or go beyond the full cycle of what's happening in an organization. And to me, connecting the dots is giving those people that. At the end of the day, like I said, I think sometimes there's a misconception that people don't all come to want to come to work, want to do good, want to have fun, but also really want to be tied into the passion of the organization and what is the mission and vision of the organization. And to me, I think. Taking the time with those employees, creating a cross-functional training plan where they get to sit or to work alongside or to shadow, whatever definition of it you would like to use, along with folks at all levels in the organization. So they can put the full picture together of what they're doing, while they're doing that work, and then what is the outcome of that work.
0: You mentioned time, and Within- I don't know a whole lot about production environments, but right. what I do know is that line managers in production environments are super busy. I I think line managers in any function are super busy. So how do you make the time to connect those dots when a lot of organizations are running lean, every manager is buried in their task wheel? What's the way forward so you can make the time and connect those dots?
1: I think some of it is understanding the value of it. You could approach it from a data perspective and show people like the cost of what it takes to replace someone in an organization, what the cost is of a bad new hire, those sort of things. If you look at it relative to recruiting employee, the data shows if you take the time on the front end, at the end of the day, there's retention on the back end. And it's the very same, similar concept of it. The person knows that you respect them, knows that you value them to the point you're taking time to grow and to develop them because that's what you're doing in that space when you're having them shadow or doing cross-functional collaboration. And so at the end of the day, it's a shared respect a mutual understanding for the work that's done across the organization, but it's also highly engaging and highly retentive. Gain some retention on things and you're not thinking about it in the context, too, that a lot of times these are very high turnover organizations. And so people pull back all the time and say, what's that one thing I can do to impact turnover? And they'll come up with foosball day or something like that. Or really, at the end of the day, people want to have passion and purpose in their work. And they do that by working alongside others on the team, figuring out what's going on, knowing the why, knowing what the full cycle of the customer service aspects of what they do. We're taking the HR Impact
0: Show on the road. As a loyal listener to the HR Impact Show, we'd like to invite you to join us live at the 2024 Transform Conference at the Wind Resort in Las Vegas from March 11th through the 13th. Transform brings together people-driven leaders, investors, and innovators across industries and backgrounds with a shared passion for people, innovation, and transforming the world of work. The 2024 Transform Conference is going to be the best yet. Here's what you can expect. Innovative showcases, probing conversations, hands-on learning experiences, 300-plus speakers, and more. Join us and let's shape the future world of work together. Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community, get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. And now back to the show. Because not enough time is being spent, on onboarding, training, and development. How much is that tied to the constant churn that exists within the organization? What's your line of sight into that?
1: Throughout my entire HR career, that is one of the things that I've heard the most. They'll say, I need a great person. I need a best fit for the role. The person comes into the role and they're a great fit for the role. Maybe 70% of the time things are happening what they need to do. But when it gets down to that other percentage of the people management aspect of it, that is the hardest part for managers to pull back and say to them, it's slowing down. Down and having to take the time, but really at the end of the day, it's it's taking the time that's going to get them to move forward. And if you look at it across any organization, managers struggle in that space a lot. And I think it has to come from the executive team, the senior leadership team, to really set that cultural perspective of take the time to train your team. Otherwise, you're going to end up back in the same space.
0: That's really interesting. And I want to get a temp check from your perspective. So I was on the agency side. So I did a lot of talent acquisition stuff from the agency side. And one of the things that I would hear from managers all the time is this quote, and you've probably heard it too. We need somebody that's going to be able to come in here and hit the ground running. How much of that thinking is rooted in managers not taking ownership of what their primary responsibility is, which is developing their people?
1: A lot of it's organizational culture because there are some organizations who just innately get it. They get hit the ground running to them means meet the minimum skill sets and qualifications for the role. We'll train you up to the best fit for the role from a cultural perspective or a better understanding of here's who we are and how we do it. But I would say that's a small percentage of organizations where the larger percentage is I need you to come in and hit the ground running. Don't ask too many questions. I hired you because you know what you're doing. But there's this huge gap in how they do it at their organization. Happens to me in HR all the time. From that perspective, HR is different everywhere you go. And it's the same thing. And pretty much all aspects of the work. And yeah, I think there is there is a very serious lack of understanding of what that is and how that should be approached.
0: When you were describing uh, your experience, there's a phrase that popped into my head, which was past results doesn't indicate future performance. And the reason why it, it hit me is that Managers often delude themselves into thinking that, hey, if I hire a top performer from XYZ organization and bring them in yep. here, I can run them on autopilot. And there isn't anything that I need to do. And that's so flawed from a people strategy perspective because you're just kidding yourself. You have no idea yep. of what the infrastructure that existed in that other organization. So the idea that you can just plug and play people based on a position description and they'll just buy... Some miracle becomes successful. It's just foolish. It's setting yourself up for, for some pretty big failure. And speaking of failure,
1: I'd like you to spell out what is the
0: cost of that sort of thinking?
1: If you look at it from that cost perspective, innately people are going to become disengaged. How I'm a true firm believer, most people want to come to work to do their job and to do it right. And so if every single day it's being approached if you're not doing this, you're not getting that right. You're not doing this. Obviously that's a wear, And then that's a loss from a cost standpoint, high turnover. Employee morale, culture, obviously productivity, all those things fall into that from a cost standpoint. But I think overall, from a long-term perspective, the culture of your organization, at the end of the day, people see it, people across the organization, even those who are bought in and have been there a while, see it. And it starts to wear internally across the organization when those things start to happen.
0: Those are just some of the soft costs that you described when we're talking about hard costs. If you're dealing with voluntary turnover within an organization, you can expect per turnover instance to spend up to 250% of their salary in replacement costs. And then you just mentioned employee engagement and burnout when Mm -hmm. I I think it was Gallup that had this data every year. Gallup does all sorts of surveys. And one of the most recent ones is that when you're talking about employee engagement, that poor employee engagement costs U S organizations, anywhere from 400 to 500 billion every year in lost productivity. So. When managers are just shifting all of this back to HR or somebody else or autopilot or whatever it might be, there's some really big costs that they're not considering. And it creates this hamster wheel where certain executives always default to saying all of this can be solved by just being better at recruiting. No, it's not a recruitment issue.
1: It always falls back on HR. Yes, we I laugh about that all the time. I love when it's like the person sitting at the table says who's responsible for culture and everybody looks at HR, right? It's good. All the management on it. I know it's funny. We actually did the Gallup survey year over year at my previous organization and it was super exciting, but also one of those like eye-opening things to see from an impact perspective, That that soft spot of the question that they have is, do you feel like you have a best friend at work from an engagement perspective? That was one of the most like, highly impactful scores. And you could see it across the organization when that score would ebb and flow and sway as to where the culture of the organization was from a turnover perspective, from so many things.
0: Really good stuff so far, Hope. I think when we look at the stage that we've set, I think we're on solid ground there. I guess the the one thing that I'm wondering about is when you're looking at building this sort of collaborative environment, this learning environment, especially when you're dealing with both corporate and field in uh, hourly employees, how do you pull that off? What are the steps that you need to be considering to make that sort of organization come to life?
1: Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing is really understanding at a high level the interdependencies between the departments and where that cross-functional collaboration happens, and really understanding engaging. There's a lot of teams who work together on a day-to-day; others who are not so much. But at the end of the day, really understanding that business ecosystem and how pe- people cohesively work across departments. So that's one thing there. I'm really big on bringing in a shared perspective too, and really understanding what the teams' needs are. It was fun. We actually did an exercise recently here where they went around as a team, put together a list of what they needed from other teams and walk through a series of a what I need from you. And so basically maybe pulling together a focus group from various aspects of the organization, really get that understanding of what they need from each department. And that's where that shared perspective cut starts to really get fostered. You spend a lot of time in teams arguing about what you're not getting from another team member or what you're not getting from another department or not understanding why your hourly field teams aren't finishing their time cards, but they may not be able to. They may not be in front of a computer all day. And so really getting that shared understanding and buy-in from your team on what they need from each other and then really start to focus on, OK, if we could start to work on how to build this out. And again, it's going to depend on your organization, the time, the formalities of things, really start to work on what your team would see as beneficial in understanding of each other's roles. And that's going to be at all levels of the organization, not just horizontally and different, you know, levels of colleagues, but really thinking through it as a team across the organization.
0: That last bit that you mentioned about getting everybody on the same page and understanding Mm -hmm. the, the value of each role within the organization, that's a big ask. So how have you
1: accomplished
0: that? Where would somebody start in even tackling that issue?
1: Yeah, I think it's building that shared perspective and giving them the opportunity to experience the challenges and responsibilities of others' roles. A person in IT may not understand why logistics needs whatever it is they need have IT, spend a day, spend a week out there working alongside the logistics team to see what their challenges are. And because the biggest thing is a lot of times people are bringing the problem to the other department to help them find a solution. And so innately, a lot of people think, oh, here's your fix. They don't necessarily really understand the problem. And so that just leads to a whole bunch of back and forth or not necessarily a solution to whatever the challenge is. And so really taking that time to build that shared perspective. But a lot of times that means working alongside it, even if it's something they fully understand, it's okay. Work through it. Work through it as a team. Show them what your challenges are. Have that lived experience with them so you all can work to a shared solution.
0: We covered a lot of stuff up until this point, and I think we articulated some key points that managers have to be more accountable and have to have much more ownership in their people strategy because that has some real impact in the organization. Now, if you're trying to build an organization that operates this way, especially that has a good mix between hourly and salaried employees. What are the two or three key things that somebody who wants to build this sort of organization needs to focus on to do it well?
1: Yeah, I think at the core of it, call it like collaborative problem solving, right? At the end of the day, really breaking down the silos and really fostering and building a shared understanding to encourage collaborative teamwork. And that's at all aspects of things. I think a lot of times decisions are made at very high levels or they're made in certain aspects of an organization, but that's not necessarily collaborative approach across an organization. It doesn't necessarily create that collaborative culture and shared understanding of the work that everyone's doing. And so if you want to look at it from like a build problem-solving perspective, collaborative problem-solving.
0: Hope, thanks for hanging out with us. If people want to continue thanks. the conversation, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, best way to touch with me is connect with me on LinkedIn, shoot me a message and happy to chat.
0: Awesome stuff. So when I think about this conversation, there's a, a few things that stand out in my mind in terms of building a highly collaborative organization. I think first and foremost, everybody needs to spend enough time in understanding the overall business. And I think that's important whether you're in HR or whether you're in other, it's especially important if you're in other functional groups, because that's gonna actually tune you in to the interdependencies between your division and another division and see where the the, the root causes or problems might exist. So if you don't have visibility at that level, you're gonna struggle in building an integrated environment. The other thing that stood out about this conversation is your emphasis early on, it being a critical responsibility for HR and also leaders in general to build trust across the organization. So you need to be in a habit of communicating. And that again, requires you to work across the organization versus staying within your silos. So business understanding and an emphasis on trust and transparency appear to be the big factors that really drive this sort of culture, regardless of whether you're in a white-collar environment or a blue-collar environment. Hope, really strong stuff. I really enjoyed the conversation. For those of you who have been listening to this episode, we appreciate you hanging out. If you liked the conversation, leave us a review, let us know what you thought of it, and then tune in next time where we'll bring in another leader to share with us the game-changing realizations that they had that helped them build high-performing teams.